You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the, you the best. Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Halford and Bruff. Still no Halford, but Jason Bruff, back. From vacation, he's I'm, here. I'm back. I had a terrific three weeks, but yep. I'm uh, I'm ready to dig into all the sports that I completely checked out on for almost <laughs> that you a paid month. zero attention and, to yeah. while you were gone. Yeah, As, hey, look, that's part of vacation. Got to mm-hmm. check out. Yeah, can't uh, can't let your work follow you uh, on vacation. I'm Jamie Dodd, still here for another week. Uh, a dog and Ben Bazrin behind the glass right now. So. Slowly getting the team back together. Still no Laddie. Still no Halford here uh, on Halford and Bruff. Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, we're also coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Uh, sorry, Braff, I know you no- you normally do that read. You know what? I'm, I, I, I'm already out of practice. So I was like, oh, I think I have to do something in the morning, but I, I can't even remember. I was, I'm so that. used to doing it. I mm-hmm. was just like segueing into my next read. And I was like, oh, I'm stepping on Braff's toes here. I'm doing the Kintech read. This isn't yeah. going well yeah, already. You can, you can give me some money after the show. That's okay. <laughs> uh, what's coming up on the show today? Uh, we got a big show. Four guests. Ben Nichols and Smith covering the Blue Jays for Sportsnet. He'll join us at 630. Adnan Verk, our uh, MLB insider of the MLB Network, joins us at 7. At 7.30, the newest Canuck, new signing as of Friday, which we will talk about more in just a second, Puce Suter will join the show. Uh, and at 8 a.m., Gary Gramling covering the NFL for the Messenger after a, a full weekend of preseason action. So uh, looking forward to chatting to all of our whoa, guests, whoa, whoa. but especially Puce it's Suter. Puce? Yes. I thought it was Pius. No. Yeah, I was saying Pius I, the I whole was time. I've been calling her Crandall. Puce Suter. Puce. Really? Okay. I'm like 99. percent I sure. really hope you. Although us. I was, I it's I, pious guys. I was 90 percent sure that that was the case last night. I was looking through, you know, if you go to NHL.com and you search a player, you can mm-hmm. see all of his goal calls. Right. And so I'm watching all the goal calls, waiting for the Red Wings announcers to say his full name because mm-hmm. normally that's what you do, right? You're like Suter shoots scores, and then yep. the next thing is his full name, mm-hmm. right? Like that's how Shorty would do it, anyways. I had to watch like eight goal calls before they said his first name. I think because they were probably also like, right. are we sure it's Puce? But mm. they did say Puce. Hey, at least you scored at least eight goals. <laughs> yes. Right? That's good. Four, 14, I believe, last year. Pretty impressive. So okay. uh, we'll, we'll talk to uh, Puce Suter at 7.30. Uh, hopefully I am getting that correct. Uh, before we get to any of that. Puce, let's... Puce. <laughs> <laughs> first thing I thought of. <laughs> He's canceled. <laughs> He's not get, coming on now. Before we get to any of that, let's talk about what happened. 
Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit bccsa.ca. And yeah, let's talk about the news that broke on Friday, uh, not that long after Randeep and I were on on uh, on the show on Friday. And funnily enough, we were talking about you know, what's the the kind of one more move you could see the Canucks making or you would like to see them make, whether it's a late contract handed out or a PTO or something like that. And we talked a lot about Pius Suter because he was a very clear, logical fit for what this team needed. Two-year, 1.6 AAV deal, and it was all about the center depth with this signing. You look at the the depth chart, it was just the one spot where they needed another body. So you weren't going straight from... Patterson Miller in your top six to Bluger and Neil Zaman in your bottom six. Yeah, so I tried to stay off social media on my vacation, uh, X, Twitter, whatever they're calling it now. Um, you know, I, I, I was looking at this move online. I did, I did break my fast from social media for that, and it seemed to be yet another move yep. that earned plaudits from most of the fan base, the analysts covering the team, um, and it continues on an offseason for – this Vancouver Canucks management group that has largely received, um, you know, a pl- applause mm-hmm. from uh, the fan base. I think a, a lot of people, despite um, people liking the addition of Teddy Bluger, they, they were like, yeah, yeah, he's a useful player. They didn't know whether or not he was good enough to be a 3C. No. He certainly wasn't in Pittsburgh. Um, and he couldn't even get into the lineup for Vegas when he was traded there. Uh, Nils Amon is another candidate for that spot, and I think people liked what they saw from Nils Amon last season. I mean, he was in the NHL, which is credit to him. A lot of people expected he'd just be in Abbotsford. Uh, but the addition of Puce Suter, yes. I'm going to trust you on that, <laughs> I think helps address those concerns because at the very least – at the very least, it's just another body there for competition to mm-hmm. be the 3C. And I think most people will look at the lineup right now and say, okay, Suter is the 3C. Bluger's the 4C. Um, Nils Amam maybe the 13th forward, maybe back down to Abbotsford. Or Suter can play all three positions up front, so maybe he bounces to the wing. Yeah, and I think that's a big part of it for me is the versatility because one of the things with this Canucks forward group is there's a fair amount of talent, but sometimes it would be hard to see how it would all fit together and kind of draw up four lines that you felt really good about and you feel like, okay, that line can clearly play a defensive role or that line is going to be pretty good offensively because the fit wasn't always really clear. And the thing with having a versatile player with Suter, I think it makes – doing that a lot easier because you can mm-hmm. you can envision him playing with almost anyone on the roster in almost any position, right? And even something like, you know, let's say there was ever a time where you did want to move JT Miller back to the wing, not for the rest of the season or anything, but for a period at a time or a game at a time. Well, if you want to load up a line with PD and Miller. Exactly. Right? I don't think you could have done that yeah. prior to the signing because then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, like, you're playing Teddy Bluger in the top six and then right. Neil Zaman and, like, Sheldon Dries, I guess, right? Now I think you have more of the flexibility to do that. Uh, does this move also signal the likelihood that Tanner Pearson won't, in fact, be healthy come the start of training camp because if you go to cap friendly mm-hmm. and you look at okay well 
The Canucks have spent a lot of money. <laughs> uh, but if Pearson and Pullman are both on LTI, LTIR, that should make them yep. cap compliant. Now, what the Canucks have said is that they expect Tanner Pearson to be at training camp, ready to go. Um, but is this just a dance that they're doing? I would not expect Tanner Pearson to be ready to go at training camp. That would surprise me. And that's just based on how much we've heard about all the surgeries he's gone through in the tough road back. And it was great to hear that positive news mm -hmm. from the Canucks when they announced it or when they mentioned it earlier in the summer. But it just still seems like such a tough road back. Now, there could be other shoes to drop. You never know. I mean, remember Frank Saravalli talking about you know potential Tyler Myers to San Jose trade. Then they went and dealt Eric Carlson. So is that something that could be revisited? Who knows? But if I was betting right now, I would bet, yeah, Pullman and Pearson, at least to start the season on LTIR. And, and that's how you get cap compliant to begin. Can I just say one thing that I'm sure of heading What's into that? this season? The penalty kill damn well oh, better yeah. be improved oh yeah because pretty much every player that they've brought in and you see the press release and the written up quote from patrick alvin says mm -hmm. this guy will help our pk and pew Suter is another one that's expected to be good not only on the pk but i think defensively Absolutely. as well and i think um if there's one thing that's improved on this team and it's very encouraging to see given some of the games we saw last season They've brought in some players with some defensive abilities, some guys that can go out there and check, whether it's at five on five or the PK. And I think that that makes this training camp and preseason doubly important for a start of the regular season that is going to be quadruply Extremely important, important. Right? Like yeah. they gotta get everyone on the same page. They yep. gotta get some pairings worked out, some forward combinations, but also just some time for the four-man unit, whoever's going to comprise those four-man units to gel and figure yeah. things out. I don't. Who, who's the, who's going to be? Who's the coach in, in charge of the PK? Who's who's the guy that everyone's going to blame if it doesn't come together? Is it going to be Foot? I don't know. He runs the defense, right? Yeah, like, I'm not sure. Exactly. Like, I don't think the responsibilities have been shared yet. Like publicly maybe they're still trying to determine them if any of you guys have heard anything listeners text into the dunbar lumber text line at 650 650 also let us know what you think of the addition of Suter. dunbar lumber three stores to serve you in ladner on bridge street dunbar lumber express at ladner center or beauty in vancouver online at dunbarlumber.com um you know again i i think i've said this a thousand times already like they needed to address the penalty kill and it wasn't just mm -hmm. a matter of coaching them up or teaching some young guys mm -hmm. to PK, like you have to have you have to have guys that have done it before, done it successfully, and they got to go out there and improve this unit because it has been absolutely dreadful the last two seasons. And one of the big reasons that the Canucks have been so bad to start the season and pretty much buried themselves every time. You're right, though, that it's going to be a lot of guys who haven't really played together very much in that role because you're probably going to see all of. Cole, Susie, Bluger, certainly, and Suter play significant minutes, mm -hmm. right? And those guys don't have experience playing together, and that can be a big part of it on the penalty kill specifically, right, is the chemistry and the partnership you form with those guys, that kind of continuity uh, going into the season. So that's going to be huge at training camp. And I also just think the Suter signing, as I was saying, you know, it – 
it, it makes Rick Tockett and the coaching staff's job easier, but it also gives them more to think about because you have more plausible combinations that you can put together. You have now. some guys that you can put over the over the boards half the time. Yeah. I was sitting there going like, man, if you're Rick Tockett or whoever's Who you in charge of the PK, yeah. you're like, who are you putting over the yeah. boards? Like it was a very tough decision. The guys that were supposed to be the penalty killers weren't getting getting it done. So you ended up having the likes of Pedersen and Quinn Hughes out there. Now I got no problem with those guys killing penalties, but I don't know if you want them to be the main ones. Even JT Miller, right? Because mm-hmm. he already plays a lot, mm-hmm. and you want to have him fresh to do what he does best, and that's scoring goals and playing at five on five and on the power play. It's not necessarily penalty killing. Um, so I have a question for you and sure. I have a question for the listeners. When you look at the current roster, after all the new additions, and there has been quite a bit of change this offseason, yep. quite a new new faces, um, what is your biggest worry? Because for me, I would have headed into this offseason and been like, man, they got to fix the PK. Yeah. You know, I can't, I, you know, we'll, we'll see if they've been successful, but they certainly tried, right? Like they've made an attempt. So I'm going to take that off my list. And while it's still there, I still want to see proof of concept. <laughs> um, I'm still looking at the defense and hoping and praying that it can come together to the point where the Canucks have at least, at least two solid pairs because I'm still not exactly sure how it's all going to shake out. Yeah. Like who's going to play with who, um, you know, who's going to play the right side if they're a left shot. Who is Carson Soucy? And is he a top four defenseman, mm-hmm. right? Or are you going to have to say, all right, Ian Cole, I know you're a veteran journeyman, but on this team you're a top four guy. Who's Quinn Hughes going to play with? Who's the player out there that's going to bring out the best in Philip Peronic? Yeah. And you know what? What is the best yes. of Philip Peronic? Because I don't know. I still just haven't watched this guy enough to know confidently that he is going to be the type of guy that is going to help give the Canucks two solid pairs of defensemen. And if you can have two solid pairs you might be an okay team. Hronik in particular is kind of the biggest X factor for the Canucks because we saw him so briefly, and even if you were watching, for whatever reason, a ton of Red Wings games, he played really well last year, but it was also different than he's looked previously in his career. So the question is not just what can he do in a Canucks context, but can he sustain what he did, the kind of breakthrough he had last year in Detroit? And that's going to go so far to determining how this season goes. One of them for me, and it sounds kind of weird, because we talk so much about oh, this team has so many wingers, so many wingers, and they didn't really, they haven't moved any mm-hmm. this this uh, off season. Is so it's great that they have a lot of wingers, but who are the, which of them are going to be really good? You know what I mean? Like Kuz- yeah. Kuzmenko, you, you like he had almost forty goals last year. Now we'll see how the Kuzmenko and Tockett relationship uh, works out. But you can you can at least pencil him in to be kind of a if not a star level contributor, something really close to that. But you need more than one really good top six winger on mm-hmm. your team, right? So I mean, there's candidates. Who, there are, but which yeah, yeah. one of them is going to step up, right? It could oh, be Bavillier, was Besser, Garland. I like Bavillier. I mean, he's solid. Bavillier is a nice player, but he's is he going points, to be though. like someone you feel really good for about me, having he's, on your top line? Yeah, for me, no, he's top in, line, no. For me, he's in the same camp as uh, Garland and Besser. Like, yeah. All those guys, all three of those guys, have have done it in the NHL. Yep, they've they've you know they've scored at least. 20 goals in, in seasons and they've, and they've looked good, but what is, what is the right fit? Yep. Um, and of those, if the, if they're all on the team and for now they are, 
um, who's going to be better suited to playing in the bottom six mm -hmm. versus the top six. And then I look at uh, some of the younger wingers like Nils Hoaglander and, and Pod Colson. And, you know, Hoaglander, we all know, needs waivers to go down to the AHL this season. So the team is going to give him every chance yep. to make the club unless he's traded. Um, which is a possibility. It for is sure. Like it, it's a pot. Like, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when, yeah, you know, if we get to it. But Pod Colson is a guy that, like, yes, he's still young, <laughs> but we need to see some progress. Oh, yeah. And for me, last season was a step back. Mm -hmm. And at the, you know, I think I think with Hoaglander, I liked that he went down to the AHL and played really well. Mm -hmm. And the coaching staff down there liked him. For Pod Colson, I just don't know where his head is at because he looked like a guy that was really lacking confidence. And we had Rick Tockett on the show well before I went on vacation, and he said, you know, Pod Colson's just got to let it hang a little bit more. Go out there and play hockey, yeah. right? You know, just he, he seems uh, unsure of himself. And maybe that's the fact that he's had multiple coaches in the NHL mm -hmm. and the team has been a bit of a you-know-what kind of show. And maybe he just lost his confidence, but he needs to find it because he's a pretty important player for the Canucks oh, going yeah. forward, right? Yeah, he could, he could be that that cheap labor mm -hmm. that's contributing at a fairly high level. In theory, considering he's a tenth overall pick, he offers some upside for the Canucks. Well, and especially in kind of a unique role, right? As a as a winger who has the ability to be physical and play that style of game, but also, again, theoretically enough offensive ability to keep up with your top players, right? I just wonder with him if he's like if he's always felt for the last few years at least like he's just trying to survive because he's yeah. been in the NHL when he was really young, a teenager, he was in the KHL playing with like playing with when guys. the stakes are yeah. high, yeah. right? Like and it, it's not like, well, you're just young and but you're still one of the best players on this young team, right? So go out there and play your game. You know, I don't know if uh, you know. I've played a few beer league games where I'm like, uh, I should not be out here because everyone else is better, right? Like, and I think most people have played at a level that's maybe a little bit too high for them. And you know what you do? You're just like, all right, pucks in deep. Yep. I'm not. I'm not going to make a mistake. And that's the way Pod Colson has seemed to me. Like he doesn't want to do anything that might blow up in well, his face. And I wonder, you know, you talk about confidence with Pod Coles, and one of the things you hear about him is he's incredibly hardworking, super diligent, super conscientious. And I almost wonder if that he's overthinking things. Like, obviously, you want guys who are hardworking and who really care and who are really trying to take that next step. But I think sometimes if you are, as you say, just dwelling on you know, you're you're thinking too much rather than just reacting to the play when it's out there and using some of that skill that made you a tenth overall pick. Remember, and he's got a kid now, so he does have dad strength. Dad is rough for him. Or he might be exhausted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe he's I too didn't think this through very well. Sucking the life out of me. Maybe he's too exhausted to think so much <laughs> yeah. about what he's doing out there. Maybe that's what he needs. But yeah, like as you say, it's time it's time for him to step up and show more of that promise that they're counting on. Like it's he's in that age range now where you're really. Uh, hoping to see it. A uh, quick note from the NHL before we move on. Not a big surprise, but uh, former Bruins center David Krejci officially retiring from the NHL this morning, just a few minutes ago. And I think after Bergeron retired earlier uh, in this summer, uh, a lot of people are expecting this to come down, but it is now official. David Krejci retiring from the NHL and uh, officially the Bruins having to move on without either of their mainstay top two centers so uh i have been on vacation for a few weeks yes um who is the bruins one c now 
I believe it's either Pavel Zaka or Charlie Coyle. Right. The two-headed monster there in the top six, Charlie Coyle and Pavel Zaka, yeah. Slight drop-off from Bergeron and uh, Krejci. I mean, that's not even close. No. Right? Like, that is... I think people, as we talk about kind of things you missed while you were gone, when we were talking about Bergeron, I think people are going to be shocked. Like, everyone knows Bergeron's Mm -hmm. a phenomenal player and a great two-way guy and all that. They're going to be shocked at the drop-off from Bergeron to anyone else in that position. Well, well, yes, definitely, and that is the major point. But what about the depth on the Bruins now? Yeah. Like, I asked who's the one seed. Well, who's the three seed? Right? Yeah. Like, if Charlie Coyle and Pavel Zaka are also, tra- also Charlie Coyle. Yeah. He's, <laughs> yeah, 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 he's yeah. like, uh, get ready to go, Charlie, because yeah. you're going again. Yeah, you're back out there. <laughs> uh, so that's the Bruins uh, situation. I did, I did want to mention um, another story because it is breaking. Um, it happened in China. Yes. But it has to do with Philadelphia, which is always an interesting sports town. Um, you might have heard it in the intro. Uh, but James Harden of the Philadelphia 76ers, he was doing something in China. Doing, it, it looks like a basketball camp or something. I don't know what it is, but something. Yeah. Uh, and he comes out and says, uh, uh, Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will never be part of an organization that he's a part of. And then he goes, Let me say that again. <laughs> Daryl Morey is a liar. And I will never be a part of an organization that he's a part of. Now, the crowd there didn't seem to be full of, like, journalists. It seemed to be fans. No, yes. Because if a uh, journalist was there, he might have been like, uh, I have a follow-up question. <laughs> what is he lying about? <laughs> yep. And, you know, the conclusion that I think most people have, 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 have come to is that uh, James Harden doesn't want to be on the 76ers. Mm-hmm. He wants to be on the Clippers. Um, and he did opt in to his final year of his contract with the Sixers. Well, why did he do that if he could have become a free agent by opting out? Well, I think probably what happened was that Daryl Morey told James Harden that he would and could trade him Mm -hmm. to the Clippers. So the Sixers said, well, hey, opt into your contract, and then we'll trade you. So for the Sixers, that's good because we'll get something in the trade. And for you, that's good because you're going to the Clippers. And then they tried to trade him to the Clippers, and the Clippers went, eh. Yeah, we're not <laughs> going to give you much. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the Sixers then took, reportedly, they took Harden off the trademark and it said, see you at training camp. And then it leads to this. And it's funny, too, because the Sixers saying, all right, well, that's it. Fine. We're not going to trade him. Like, it's pretty easy to see that as a negotiating ploy targeted specifically at the Clippers, right? And if you're James Harden, if your whole goal is to get traded to the L.A. Clippers, like, isn't your best option at that point just to remain quiet, not to throw gasoline on the fire, to kind of let Daryl Morey go through that negotiating and that posturing process and try to get something of value out of the Clippers, and instead he just very much throws gasoline mm-hmm. on the fire here. And now, again, it, like the reason this deal hasn't happened is because the Clippers look at it and think, we're the only place he wants to go, so why are we going to offer anything? We're not. We're, we're just going to wait it out and see what happens. And Daryl Morey has tried to draw a line in the sand. And I think James Harden continuing to just destroy the Sixers' negotiating position, I don't think it's actually going to help get a deal done. I think it makes yeah. it harder because it's harder for – the Sixers to get anything of value out of L- L.A. Then, well, I wonder what Daryl Morey's thinking. 
I wonder if he's thinking like, you know what? I kind of wish you hadn't taken your option too, right? <laughs> yeah, like, seriously. Now I'm stuck with this situation. Yeah. At training camp. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. Halford and Bruff. Welcome back to Halford Bruff here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd and a returning Jason Bruff here on the show. Uh, Halford Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience Del- the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. So are we just waiting on Pew Suter here? Okay. Yes. Or is he ready to go? He's, we're just waiting on him? Okay. A-Dog is making a signal that means yes or no. Uh, so is he ready to go or not? No? Okay. No. Thumbs down. There we go. Thank Got you. A clear, unambiguous thumbs down there. Uh, there, is a te- ben. there is a text into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Unsigned. Jamie, who's harder to work with, Bruff or Drance? Would love to listen to a show with Bruff and Drance together. Oh, thank you. Know, you know, when, yeah. First of all, <laughs> come on. First of all, I don't want that. Um, and whenever I have hosted with Drance before, and I just ask him one question, and then I go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I'm just like, all I right, mean, I'm going to make ways, a coffee. All right. People talk like obviously Drance has a big personality and all that, and obviously you know there are there are challenges associated with that. But the thing is, people are like, oh man, doesn't Drance talk a lot? It's like, yes, it makes my job easier. Yes, yeah, it's, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. So in some yeah, ways, it's awesome. like, doesn't bother me that much. You can ask him about like the most mundane stuff too. He's like, who do you like as the Canucks? 12th defense. Yes, no, and he's got thoughts. He's got yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of thoughts about it. Yeah, I liked it. I, I liked reading his uh, latest for The Athletic, and like he's talking about, I was thinking while I was walking around this summer or sitting on decks having a drink, I was like, man, the Canucks are haunting you, buddy. Like, <laughs> take some time off. Uh, right now, we are very pleased to be joined here on Halford and Bruff by uh, the newest member of the Vancouver Canucks, signed to a two-year contract on Friday, he is forward Puse Suter. Puse, thank you very much for making time for us today. And first of all, congratulations on the new deal with the Canucks. Uh, thank you. Yeah, good morning. Thanks uh, for having me. Uh, yeah, thank you again for uh, for coming on with us. So, you know, what made the Canucks uh, a good fit for you and, and for you to sign with it at this point? You know, they just really showed uh, interest in me uh, as a player in person right away. And, uh, you know, you can tell they had their thoughts about how I can uh, help the team and uh, yeah we're in great detail uh, what kind of player I am and uh, that was a really big thing for me. How can you help the team and what type of player are you? Uh, you know I, I I can play all three four of us. And all right, we will get and uh, we've lost. Him we will get Suter back on the air uh, momentarily. Here we're dealing with that uh, clean feed link, and uh, hopefully we can get reconnected uh, to Pew Suter uh, right away. There, I did think you know, I'll ask him a follow up when we get on the uh, uh, get him back on the line. Here is you know he said 
management had some very clear ideas about, you know, here, here, here's how we see using you. Here's how we think you can help us. But anyways, Pius, we, we, we've got you back now. And you were just telling us a little bit about, uh, about your game and the, and the versatility in your game. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I, I don't know where I got stuck out, but, uh, I played all three positions before in the game, same game and, uh, just trying to be a positive help on the penalty kill as well. How much of uh, the conversation with the Canucks had to do with you helping on the penalty kill? Because the Canucks have brought in a few players that uh, profess to help on the PK, and the PK has been a very big issue for the Canucks the last two seasons. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, both special teams are a big part, right, to to win games and get far. So, uh, you know, it was obviously in discussions. I think that's also why they had interest in me, because... Uh, that's what I've been playing, especially last year as well. So, yeah. Was it stressful for you to go this long? Like you didn't sign on July 1st like a lot of the other players. Was it stressful for you that, you know, you got into August and you didn't even know where you were going to be playing? A little bit. Um, beginning was uh, a little bit, you know, I thought beginning it's going to be July 1st, July 2nd, mm. I'll know where I'm going. And then a bit later on... Uh, then it was kind of fine, uh, and then obviously you get to um, mid-August. You kind of like, all right, let's let's get it going. Know where you're going, pack the stuff, and uh, get ready. So uh, yeah, tell us a bit about your journey to the NHL because you played in the OHL for a couple of seasons. Then you went back to Switzerland. Uh, you played a few years in Switzerland. You were the Swiss League MVP. You came over to Chicago and then Detroit. What was it? What did you? Was the dream always? to come back to the NHL or were there parts of your time in Switzerland where you were like, well, maybe this is the career for me? Um, you know, I, I think the dream was always as a kid to be a professional hockey player at first. And at some point it became a, a goal of mine to play in the NHL. And, you know, with my time in Guelph, uh, I had a great time there. And then I just felt like be, my before my last year in junior, it was better for me to go uh, play pro and take the next step and then uh, you know it uh, took a while till I got the chance to come back and once I did uh, it worked out well. Was there a turning point for you at all in Switzerland where you went from just a guy in the league to the MVP of the league? Um, not exactly sure I mean I played uh, early age already in national team and those kind of things uh, when we won the championship in uh, 2018, I had a great year. Didn't play all the games because of some injuries, but uh, those are kind of stats. And then there was that year, down year in between with some uh, some injuries as well. Kind of hold me back a little bit. And then the next year, I, I kind of exploded, I guess. And then you came over to the NHL. Um, and, you know, from what I've read and from what I've heard, you're very responsible forward. You can chip in offensively, obviously, but... You're good defensively, you're good in your own end, and the Canucks need players like you. Um, was that something you've always focused on, or was there a point in your professional career where you said, okay, well, if I'm going to make it, I better be responsible in all three zones? Uh, I think it was always kind of the player I was, but it was more also about you know you're trying to make a team, uh, a 19 to a pro team, or making the NHL, it's... Was about you know giving yourself more ice time, and if you're responsible defensively or in all three zones, you're gonna get some extra shifts where there might be opportunities to you know score some more goals or get some points or play in key situations. So it was more that kind of mindset to just uh, get more ice time, and uh, if the coach 
trust you defensively, you're going to get uh, more ice time. What was the adjustment coming to the NHL like for you? You had experience playing in North America in junior, but you know, obviously very different. And then also you, you came over, I believe, in the the season that was segregated by division. So that was would have been a, a much different experience uh, as well. What was the transition like for you? It wasn't bad at all. It was uh, it was more about, you know, uh, those those guys those are the best players in the world and it's uh, it's a little bit harder. They're a bit more skilled. They, they need less room. So you just mm. had to be a bit more, uh, you know, sharp, I guess. Uh, you know, you mentioned when you were talking to the Canucks that you, you talked to management and they had some some very clear ideas about how you can help the team and what your role can be. What 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 did they have to say about you know your your spot on the team and what your role will be? I mean, like like you said before, it's about you know helping team the depth, uh, playing center or wing. Uh, I think at the end I have to show it in training camp and the first games, and then it will be up to the coach. You, uh, as mentioned, you you killed a lot of penalties for Detroit uh, last year, and the team is going to rely on you, I'm sure, this year to to chip in on the penalty kill as well. What goes in? What makes a team successful on the penalty kill? Uh, well, one one's the um, well, coaches always told me like once you get the chance to clear it, you got to do it in the first try because uh, you know guys are guys are too good, and uh, if you give them too much space or too many chances uh, without breaking out and maybe getting a little bit tired, they're going to probably score. So uh, it's just about getting the puck out really quick. And uh, I mean, depending on the system, I want to play more aggressive or not and be in the shooting lanes. Have you reached out to Philip Hronik yet? And uh, I guess you guys are going to be teammates again. Uh, yes, we, we've talked a little bit. Uh, much. It's been a busy weekend, but I'm sure I'll, I'll call him uh, this week or so. Do you have any other connections to the Vancouver Canucks, either in management or uh, players, and anyone that you can reach out and get the lay of the land for Vancouver? Um, I mean, yeah, a few things. I have a few friends. Uh, they live there or have family over in Vancouver um, or been there a f- few times for vacation. So, uh, I mean, everybody's been just praising the city. So uh, it's going to be been pretty nice. What's the rest of the summer look like for you, Puse? I know uh, you know training camp coming up pretty soon here, but uh, what are your plans for the next few weeks? Uh, just enjoying being home, family and friends. Uh, take a few days off, work out. Uh, we're pretty much right in, right in the middle of it right now. So uh, just kind of keeping my plan what I had with uh, when I work out uh, the ice and uh, get some more uh, more ice time. Uh, thanks for joining us again and congratulations on the deal. And, uh, we look forward to seeing you coming up at training camp pretty soon. Thanks a lot. That is new Canucks forward Puce Suter, uh, joining us talking about uh, a little bit about his path to the NHL, as you said, pretty unique, uh, Bruff going from the Swiss league for so long and then jumping to the NHL and also what he can bring. And uh, it was interesting to hear him there, you know, talking to management very much saying, yeah, you can play center, you can play wing. We're going to ask you to do mm-hmm. that. That's a big, that's obviously, you know, no surprise, but the versatility is something they were very upfront about. Like, that's attractive to us. We need that in our lineup. So how do you feel, Jamie, about um, the center depth now on the Vancouver Canucks? Obviously, you got Elias Pettersson, one of the mm-hmm. best players in the NHL, so that's a plus. JT Miller's going to be uh, a center, um, and depending on who you ask, you know, some people think he's better suited as a winger. Uh, and then you've got Suter, Teddy Bluger, and Nils Amon. So, you know, you lose Horvat, 
and you've essentially gained Bluger and Suter. Mm-hmm. How do we feel about the center depth on the Vancouver Canucks right it's now? It's definitely a lot better now after they signed Suter. You're, you could still look at it and say, first of all, they're all left shot. Um, yeah face-off guys, right? So that's less than ideal. Suter as your third-line center, I think he can do the job. He's not necessarily the kind of prototypical third-line center on a Stanley Cup contending team, Mm -hmm. right? In terms of, you know, a guy that you feel comfortable putting out there against the other team's best players on a consistent basis. He's a good defensive player. I don't know that he's quite at that level. So... But again, he's a, like I don't think Teddy Bluger is at that level either. So they improved on that. I think now with the flexibility it gives them. To be honest, the biggest question I have about their center depth is how's JT Miller going to hold up in a, in probably a pretty tough role. I mean, yeah. even with Suter in the fold, I think they're still going to ask both JT Miller and Elias Pettersson to play a fair amount against the other team's best players, just yeah. because. They're that good. They, they're going to need to do it. And over a full 82-game season, how does JT Miller hold up at center in that role? Yeah. Do they have the makings of a checking line for the third line? Not really. It depends. Right? I mean, if you put Mikheyev there, like Suter and Mikheyev. If Mikheyev's, you put Mikheyev there, but right? I think, but I think but they, they want Mikheyev in the top six. That's the thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the, the third line that they're probably going to be looking at is something that can kind of hold their own at both ends of the ice, right? So Suter, Garland, and Beauvillier or something yeah. like that, where you're probably asking them to do more offensive work, but they're not a complete uh, a liability defensively either, right? Uh, so we threw out to the listeners uh, earlier in the show. We said, okay, l- listen, this new management group has made an, a number of moves, certainly addressed some concerns. Uh, the penalty kill was obviously something that they went into this offseason mm-hmm. and said, listen, we can't just coach this up. We need some new players. And they brought in a bunch of new players that all have experience on the penalty kill. So they have addressed that. We'll see how it turns out, but they have addressed that. They have made some decisive moves in that area. And then we threw out the question of, all right, you see this roster. You know what the Canucks have done the last few years. What are your concerns? And I said, my concern was, okay, well, let's see how this defense comes together because yeah. there are some new faces. You know, we saw Philip Peronic a little bit last season, but nothing to give us any conclusive evidence considering he was, you know, battling injuries and they mm-hmm. had to shut him down. Uh, they bring in Carson Soucy from uh, Seattle, and this is a guy that I'm sure they're hoping can be a top four defenseman, but hasn't really done that mm-hmm. consistently. In the NHL, uh, they bring in a guy like Ian Cole, who's a journeyman defenseman, getting a little bit older. Um, I think he's going to be a good addition, but how much is he going to be playing every game? Who's going to pair with Quinn Hughes? Yep. Who's going to pair with Philip Peronic? So those are my questions, my concerns that I'm going to be looking forward to seeing at training camp in the preseason. I would also mention the backup goalie is may- maybe a little bit of a concern, right? Like I think the backup goalie is pretty important. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially for a team like the Vancouver Canucks that isn't going to just be able to you know, cruise into the playoffs just because they're such a good team. It could be the difference between them making or missing whether or not uh, Spencer Martin or Arter Seelovs is able to give them solid performances and give Thatcher Demko enough rest during the regular season. Uh, a few people texted in about toughness. Uh, here's an unsigned text. They still lack that one guy who provides, pro- who provides snarl and toughness, and I would I would agree with that. You know, I I look at this lineup and I think, hmm, is this lineup tough enough? Yeah. Do they have enough grit? Do they have enough sandpaper? Now maybe that's more of a 
well, if they get to the playoffs, that'll be a concern <laughs> thing. And they just want to get into the playoffs. Maybe that's something they address down the line if they get into the playoffs. But yeah, I do look at this team and say, okay, well, you know, a guy like Luke Shen Gone, isn't, yeah. isn't back. Like some of the guys that they have tried to bring in to address toughness, it, it just hasn't worked out. You know, Furland uh, had his health issues. Um, you know, again, Luke Shen isn't there anymore. You look at this lineup and you're kind of like, yeah, there's some definitely some skill there, but is there enough grit there? Yeah, especially up front. You're counting on, like, uh, to go to Joshua to carry the load there, right? But, I mean, with the competition, that requires him to be playing a regular role and regular minutes on the team. I guess, you know, JT Miller is physical and has a little bit of that edge to him, but he's not he's not a prototypically, like, tough player, and he's no. not somebody you want to no. task with that yeah. because he's got to do so many other things for this team. I mean, I will say Carson Soucy's big body on mm-hmm. the back end. Now, that doesn't always equate with that snarl element, right, that people want. To me, and you kind of mentioned it, it's just you have limited resources. Where are you spending your resources on? And they obviously needed to fix the penalty kill mm-hmm. and improve the defense. And I think I'm sure they would love, and I'm sure Rick Tockett would love to have a couple of other really physical, tough players on this team. I just don't think they have the luxury of making that a priority go in this offseason. They had they had other things that were a much bigger priority. Um how much did you talk about the contract situation with PD, which remains what it was when I left on vacation three weeks ago. Yeah, we talked about it a fair amount. I mean, there was the Sebastian Ajo extension, right? And that was, I think, one of the contracts that people were waiting to see what it would look like and would that prompt some movement from uh, the Pedersen camp. I think, or from the Canucks for that matter, I do think the sense I get, and obviously I'm not an insider or anything, but obviously the Canucks would love to get an eight-year extension done with Lewis Pedersen. I think with the Ajo extension, you kind of have, okay, that's the floor, and then we can start he'll to beat, start, he'll beat, he'll beat that. that. Yeah. But then you kind of have a baseline to start working from, right? So does he beat it by 500,000 or does he beat it by a million? Does he beat mm-hmm. it by a million and a half? That seems like, I don't want to say an easy thing to figure out, but at least you have a starting point. And if you sat down at the negotiating table for, you know, a couple weeks, I think you could hash that out. It feels to me like now the ball is in Pedersen's court, right? Do you want to sign yeah. an eight-year extension before training camp? Because mm-hmm. if you do, there's a very clear route to making that happen. And I think the question is... So what? What? what's, you know, besides the eight-year contract extension, what's in it for him to make it worthwhile to sign that contract before training camp that's without, the question. without being like, you know what? I kind of want to take a look at this. Let's see. Let's <laughs> see where this goes. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, now like, there's the hassle of like showing up to training camp and being asked about it constantly, mm-hmm. but I don't know if that's enough to like make you make a decision about where you're going to play in the NHL for pretty much your entire career. And I mean, I know? guess the, the argument would be you're coming off a career high season where you scored over a hundred points. Yeah. That's your platform year. Take the deal right now Do because it. you're cutting out the risk. The flip side, though, is he, I mean, he's a pretty confident guy. So he's probably thinking, yeah, I'm going to be great again this year. And mm-hmm. even like, let's say he scored 80 points. I mean, really? What now all of a sudden they're going to turn around and be like, oh, we're only going to give you $8 million? Like, no, he's still going to yeah. get, you know what I mean? Like, he could drop off pretty significantly he could get point it from, production wise. He could get it from someone. Somehow. And he's still he might going have to, to get jump a big through deal. some hoops to yeah. go get it, but. Yeah, he can get it. I, I, I just, I true, I truly wonder um, what he thinks about the organization and how confident he is in staying and having success there. Because 
you know, in the back, I think of everyone's minds are those comments that he made a number of years ago. Mm -hmm. He's like, I want to play for a winning team. And that's not even like, it wasn't even like, wow, he wants to play for a winning team. Of course he wants to play for a winning team, right? Like who doesn't want to play for a winning team? If you hear the, heard the JT Miller podcast interview, right? Like the one thing that I took away from that was nothing about like him, you know, having some rivals in the media or some guys I didn't like in the media. Like, I, I don't really care about that. What I took away from him was like what a nightmare last season was. Yes. Well, like what, he, what, what the team went through, what no. he personally went through, and by extension, what his teammates went through. Not just last year, but he even extended it back to the end of the Travis Green era, right? Yeah. And that's two seasons ago, and I would even extend it back three seasons to the North Division season, which was a mess for a number of reasons as, uh, as well. And you, when you kind of stack it up, and that was my big takeaway from it as well, just the toll it's taken on the players, things being as unstable mm-hmm. and kind of just messy as they have been for the Canucks over the last three years. Some of that's self-inflicted, some of that's not whatever but yeah. just it it adds it's up wherever bad, you're placing man. the blame it yeah. adds up and it's hard on the players and i get it there's all whenever you say like oh it's been hard on the players there's the you know the retort of whatever they're making millions just you know suck it up and play and i get that but at a certain point you also have to put your players in a position to succeed you have mm-hmm. to recognize look all of this drama constantly in these changes is not good for helping our guys be the best versions of themselves. Sucks the energy out of the team too, yeah. right? When they're when they're thinking about this or that and they're not actually thinking about the game. Like I think you should remember last season where if the Canucks would play a game and we wouldn't even really like break down the game. <laughs> we would didn't. Because I mean, 2 months into the season they were so out of it. So yeah. you're kind of like you kind of break down the game. You'd be like, how bad can their PK get? Mm-hmm. Right. But it wasn't like, you'd be like, okay, well, if they can just do this or just do mm-hmm. that, like get a little more scoring out of this guy, then they'd be okay. It was like, holy cow. Like, this is crazy. You get, get a load of what Rutherford said. I mean, and that was early on in the yep. season or like right? the body language from Miller on the bench. Right. Or, you yeah. know what I mean? Like it was that yeah. stuff as well. Right. Rather than the actual games. And mm-hmm. it's because that, like, Again, you talk about why a good start is so important. Like, keep the focus on what's actually happening on the games rather than the circus surrounding it. The actual you have games. to like, have a good start for that to be the case. I, I miss following a normal hockey team. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. like how about previewing a big game? Yep. Like, man, let's well, let's see how they match up against these guys. That sort of stuff fell by the wayside over the last few years, and part of that was pandemic related. Like, the world was just in a really weird place. But things have been getting back to normal now, but, and but the Canucks haven't, right? Like they aren't, they haven't been a normal team to cover. They've been a team that, if they get attention, it has not been the right kind of attention. Yeah, and a huge part of that is the bad starts. It, they haven't over the last three seasons. They haven't just been a team that misses the playoffs. And I'm like, oh hey, they were in it for a while, and then they just fell up short. Uh, at the end of it, they've been out of it so early and mm-hmm. it's spiraled from there three seasons in a row. And that is like, it's a low bar, but man, that is job number one is don't let it, don't let the season slip away. Change the, the marketing, month. change the marketing, like <laughs> normal, drama free, start off strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just normal, just, yeah. just normal season. Yeah. Like there'll be some games where they don't play, play well. And you'd be like, yeah, like 
they got to do better. Yep. But yeah. it's not like everything is falling apart. Yeah. Six games into the season. The franchise. Many is people crumbling. are crying on the bench. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like jerseys are going on the ice. It, it was, it's just been, it's been, and, and, and you know what? That is a big part of Rick Tockett's responsibility too, is just having a training camp that is just normal. Right. Yeah. You know, just like let's have a let's have a camp where we can work on some things because the outside noise is going to be all like, well, let's see how the first ten games go. Mm-hmm. Let's and, and and again, this starts up. They yeah, they start with a home game, but then they go out on the road for what five? Yeah. So it's that once again that challenge of, hey, don't blow this early, because even if they lose like the first two of three. People would be like, "Oh God, it's happening again." Well, and it is happening. It's again. also the home game is against Edmonton, and I mean, it's so funny because the penalty kill is going to be so under the microscope this year, and you're starting against the best power play in NHL history, right? Mm-hmm. It's like if they if they Good give luck. Up three power play goals in that first <laughs> game, it's like, oh my gosh, and that's totally they could be they could have a really good penalty kill and still give up three power play goals in the first game just because it's Edmonton and they're so mm-hmm. good. It's going to be tough. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.